Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, I'll be joined by Erica Drum to talk about what is in season and a gorgeous new recipe for you to try with those foods. And if renewing your health insurance gives you a major headache, Dermot Good is here to help us navigate that. And I'll also be joined by GM Eleanor to talk about the power of poetry. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm doing good because it was very nice to get a break away. And although it wasn't quite resting on a sun lounger, I think water slides, Disneyland and breaking up squabbles between two exhausted kids. But it was so nice to be in different surroundings. And one of the biggest benefits that I found was being off my phone. I mean, it was still in my hand constantly because We found our way around using Google Maps. We were booking Ubers. All my tickets were in the phone, as well as the usual taking of videos and photos. But I wasn't pulled into scrolling the way I can be at home. And it was like I broke the circuit and took a break. And I definitely have been feeling better for it. So it was interesting that when I came back, one of my first hosting gigs this week for Spectrum Life was about digital detox. And I was joined by Chris Flack of Unplug and clinical psychologist Iona Walker. And they were, of course, extolling the positive virtues of technology. It's not all bad and we don't have to look at it like this big sinister character in the corner. I mean, even what I said to you there about my trip, it it was such a help to us. It's hard to imagine the people just broke out these massive big maps and found their way around foreign countries and and got anywhere in life. Where would we be without Google Maps? But what they were saying was that it's really important that we have a look at our own usage and for everybody it's going to be different and then set up our own boundaries because the way we're using technology at the moment often running several things at once, having lots of tabs open on our laptops, going on our phone to send a text message and then getting sucked in elsewhere and the constant need to check, check, check. We're actually changing the neural pathways in our brain and it's beginning to affect our ability to focus, to emotionally regulate and reducing our attention spans, which many of you, myself included, may have found already. So what do we do? Well, Everybody is different, as I said. So the first thing to do is assess where you are at yourself and then establish some boundaries to ensure you're using technology more than it's using you. Some of the things they suggested were turning off notifications unless essential and only you can decide what that is. Checking news a couple of times a day only rather than getting constant updates. Having the first 30 minutes of your day tech free and aiming to have meal times and sleep times as tech free as possible, unless you're using it for something like an audiobook or relaxing music. And even since I have come back, the mental load that comes with the WhatsApp groups, friends, school, kids activities, emails, life admin, appointments, calls, it's a lot. So don't forget to pull up your drawbridge once in a while. I certainly enjoyed pulling up mine. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, eating seasonally is something we should all be doing really as best we can. It's good for our gut health. It's good for the environment and it actually tastes better. TV chef, cook-along host, tutor and food stylist Erica Drum joins me now with some seasonal recipes to get us into the swing of things as the summer months come into view. Erica, you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire. I'm delighted to be here. And it's such a time of food celebration, isn't it? This like abundance. I know you're like me. You love the flowers coming out on the trees 
And the food just really changes at this time of year. Yeah, I think we all get a bit happier, don't we? Just in general, you know, the sunshine and everything. And yes, the food changes. So if we think about the sun and the heat, and that is what's producing our gorgeous food at this time of year, the spring stuff that's coming through and coming into the summer. So it's, yeah, it's really starting to get super abundant. We've just gone past the hungry gap, they call it, which is the part where the winter veg is kind of finished and the summer veg and the spring veg haven't quite come in. So now we're at the start of it and it's just booming. So what is in season at the moment? So if you um, look around, even in the supermarkets, you might start seeing rhubarb particularly is one that we all know in Ireland, don't we? Like it's in a lot of gardens and stuff as well. Um, And that is something that uh, we can grow ourselves, but also just honestly see and make it very versatile in loads of dishes. So rhubarb is probably my biggest one at this time of year. I love and um, we've got spring greens still in season but we've, we're coming into peas, mint um, lovely strawberries we're starting with strawberries. Oh my god they're my favourite I think contender with rhubarb as well but absolutely gorgeous. Then we've got things like lemons of course we don't grow them here but they are grown in countries really close to us like in European countries that will come over such as Italy or somewhere. So they're really beautiful and we wouldn't think of that. We'd imagine lemons are, well, you know, everything is all year. We're very fortunate in that way, but actually it's kind of sad as well because, you know, some of these are put in storage for 10 months. Apples now you're eating are probably in that box since October or whatever. So these lemons that you're getting, the big ones you might see a little bit knobbly on the tops are coming straight from Italy and they're just fab at the moment. So are you a fan of rhubarb? I, it was never really one I got onto and I could get on board with anything that's good for me. I should have brought you in some, Claire. I'm raging. I could convert you. It is very good for us, but also um, sadly, not sadly, but it's quite tart and we know that. And so therefore, the sad part is that we try and balance that with quite a lot of sugar. And that's usually where rhubarb can have a little bit of a fall down when it comes to healthy eating. So I try and make it with honey and do sweeten it up, but also flavour it up. Like rhubarb loves things like cinnamon, nutmeg. Um, I did it with um, a French toast, eggy bread, we used to call it as kids, with yoghurt and that rhubarb done with ginger. And I cooked it in ginger ale. Like he really loves ginger now, I have to say. They're best friends. So rhubarb is something I love. And I can see that um, it might be a little bit of a challenging one. You could also make it savoury. So I've done it with a relish, um, like as a relish with tomatoes, vinegar, a little bit of honey again, um, some nutmeg. And it's really nice, like slow cooked kind of like a chutney or a relish with cheeses or with fish it's yummy as well so there's loads of ways to work with it and especially if you have it in abundance you gotta use it you know and if you do some of the compots or that you're sort of talking about and use it as an add-on what do you put that in and how long will it last great question so i would um you would pour boiling water or bake your jars. So any jars, really. The pop jars, do you know the ones with the seal, the kind of French Yeah. Jars? They're best because they literally let in the least amount of air, oxygen or whatever. But if you just have a normal jar that you've reused from home into your fridge, sometimes, depending on what it is, so say if it was something savoury like a relish, I might put a little layer of olive oil on the top or something that will give that extra, you know, um, security that it won't... Um, go off as quickly and with sugar with sugar items like with the honey ones I would put maybe a little disc of parchment do you remember making jam as a kid or anything in school we used to put a little cut a little bit of parchment and place that on top under the lid of the jar as well and into your fridge you know depending on the levels of vinegar or sugar that will depend on how long but at least a week even if it's low sugar like this is I think rhubarb into the pot a little bit of honey cinnamon 
let it sweat for 10 minutes. You don't even need to touch it. And then into a jar in your fridge on top of your porridge. It kind of encourages me to eat porridge in a way. Do you know that way? Because yeah. porridge is kind of boring. And then when I'm like, oh, but I have my room. I'm, I need to put that on something. So that's where I'd, yeah. So into the fridge should be fine for a week, if not a few weeks, if it's got lots of um, preservative kind of ingredients like vinegar or sugar. But you're just trying to keep the air out as yeah. much as possible. Yeah, so that's exactly. why you're putting in the parchment, the oil or the pop yeah. on the top and keeping everything nice and, and clean. Exactly. But I come from the school of thought that there's place for all foods. So whether it is high in sugar and you're popping it on the top of your porridge, you made it yourself, you made it with love. It's got fresh ingredients that have been locally sourced and grown. I consider that to be healthy. I don't think people should start worrying about sugar. No, yeah, maybe you're, you're sorry, sorry. You're definitely right. I think it's probably my household. I get I get given out to a lot when I use sugar in a in, in an excess, let's say. But yes, you're dead right. You do, if you're making this from scratch, that's my biggest thing. I want to encourage people to cook from scratch. So if you're cooking from scratch, no matter what, that is brilliant. Or cooking partly from scratch, you know, even using so local or seasonal ingredients, it's fantastic. So yeah, you're dead right. Yeah, and I do instead of putting jam on that you're buying, you make your own. You're essentially making your own jam. So yeah, it's yeah, because I do a little something with berries like that—just frozen berries, chia seeds, bit of honey, maybe a bit of cinnamon—and you feel like some sort of culinary <laughs> goddess as it's there bubbling away as if you've just completely made this out of nothing um, and it turns into a jam. So look, I recommend it. You will feel really good about yourself. It's a very easy place to start. You've picked another couple of recipes for us then. Um, what can we use the peas, French beans and mint in? Okay, so last year there was this massive TikTok phenomenon called uh, the Green Goddess Salad. I don't know if, if you recall it. But essentially, it came from the States actually, um, where they make a sauce, a dressing for chopped cabbage. So finely chopped raw cabbage. Now, I like it, but I think the market for it is probably a little bit narrow, sadly, for the chopped cabbage part. But the sauce was fantastic. It was all the green things, like they would have used avocado, but I prefer to use things that we have here, like the peas, like the spinach, into your food processor, Claire. Like these are no brainer recipes because they're something that you don't have to stand there chopping. You don't have to worry about how long it's going to take to cook and all this. So these are raw into your food processor. Some Parmesan cheese is my favourite. But if you're vegan, you can use the yeast flakes. That's what the original recipe was. Um, a little bit of garlic, olive oil and blend it. And lemon juice. So it kind of has that citrus and tartness to it as well. And you're essentially making a really thick sauce. And then I put it into pasta because I think... That's an easier sell than the cabbage, the chopped cabbage, because you're already being super good with this, this beautiful sauce. So um, it can be a hot or cold dish. I have that recipe for you. That's on your site. And that can be a good one for kids. Like, again, I don't really like this whole hidden veggies thing. I like to just force mine to eat them whole <laughs> as they are and hope that over time they will grow to love them. But it is a handy way, you know, once in a while, if you just want to blend everything up, stick it on pasta and know that they're eating it. Yeah. It's just, it, it just takes one fight out. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids love an old pesto, right? So if you just say it's pesto pasta, don't tell them there's the peas, the spinach and the extra. And actually there is nuts in it as well in the recipe. So it does have that kind of pesto, you know, flavour to it as well. There's loads of herbs going in there. So yeah, great way to do that for kids actually. Yeah, call it Incredible Hulk Pasta, Green Goddess Pasta <laughs> or just Pesto Pasta if you really want to <laughs> trick them and fool them. But I do think that's a, that is a, a really good way. Would you add mint into that or would it overpower yeah. it? No, 
bit of mint. You don't have to put loads now. Mint, you're right in the overpowering sense because it can be quite strong. Like toothpaste. Yeah, <laughs> the kids might notice that too, actually. So not a huge amount, but definitely put it in. I think it's gorgeous. Like something like um, chopped mint and feta crumbled over the top. You know, if we're talking kids, whatever, that obviously varies. But for us, that would be really nice. So that combination that works really well and it's quite summery. Squeeze a lemon over the top, you know, think... Think freshness. So the mint will be, the mint works, yeah. And you're a bit of a forager. I think we all want to be a forager. You actually do it. I saw you out getting the wild garlic and making yeah. salt and different things and pestos out of that. And elderflower is in season. Yeah. I never really know exactly where it is or what exactly it is. Okay. So enlighten us. Okay, you're right at me being a forager. I actually go around with the scissors and a, and a clippers in my car. <laughs> For any opportunity. That could arise. Yes, exactly. Watch out for Erica Drum in your garden at some time soon. So Elderflower, speaking of gardens, I have memories since I'm a kid now. Like honestly a tot going with my mum foraging Elderflower. And sometimes it's not in a public space. Does it grow wild or it does it have to be wild. planted? No, it grows wild. Uh, it can be planted also, but it grows wild. And um it's all over Hoth, where we're from, Glare. It's all over the hill. It's all over Ireland. Like, it really is. It's it's um, a flat white leaf or flower. So a flat head of bunches of tiny little flowers. So nearly the size of your hand and a little bit bigger. Uh, they can go massive as well. On a very bushy looking tall tree or rounded they mightn't get too tall but in the countryside like you could see them for miles they'd be very tall the younger they are they're smaller and rounder Um, it is starting to come out now there's a slight smell uh, off from them as they age so you might remember that if you if you see them if you think back to last year or if you're going to forage them don't pick them after they go off white you want them white you want them really perfect little flowers that's when you want to be foraging them and um, they just taste so beautiful they have a floral flavour a kind of um, citrus well they definitely go really well with citrus flavours but they they just take very beautifully to it have you ever had Saint Germain it's an elderflower alcohol um, liqueur from France I don't think so, but I've definitely had elderflower cordial yeah, or, um, or, a, or a drink from time to time and I really like it as a taste. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Earl Grey tea. It's got that oh, kind of, kind of taste to it. Yeah. But you make your own cordial. So how do you yeah. make it from this thing that you've snipped yeah. <laughs> into a cordial? So give them a little wash. You can wash them in, as some people do it, in, in salted water actually to try and kill any bugs or whatever. Remember, this is all quite natural. They're outside, they're being washed with the rain and whatever else. But wash them anyway, if especially if you've got them low down and I would um, steep them essentially in a sugar syrup it's quite straightforward and, sh- and we talked about sugar earlier I'm lashing it into this there's not really any other way it's it's so beautiful so sugar syrup is usually about half and half sugar to water um, and then once that gets n- nice and hot I'll put in my elderflower heads so I've you know taken off the leaves and the stalks um, but keeping them in the head bunch would be a pain to try and pick off every individual little flower. And uh, some lemon or orange I've started doing, which I think is fab with them as well. Um, and, and how much orange? So you could put one or two. So it depends, right? So say you're doing a litre of syrup or, you know, enough to, to do for, for 20 heads of, of elderflower. You might put in two oranges or one orange and a lemon 
and you're cutting it up, you're slicing it, so you're making sure that they can get into the juice, the, you know, the uh, juice can get out a little bit, but also the rind, the rind of your citrus fruits has the oil in it. So it actually hits a different part of your taste buds than this juice in the middle. Any of my recipes I do, I'll always put the rind and the juice into. So say back to the goddess pasta, that would have the rind and the zest. And do you panic the about the wax or do you just like... Um, I try to buy unwaxed, but it's, no, I don't, to be honest. I'll give them a wash. If you are panicked or you're worried, put them under, just pour the boiling water over them. But actually in this sense, yeah. That, that's all you'd have to yeah, do. Yeah, now we've enough to worry about without yeah, getting a lot, <laughs> on board with that. But it is something to think about sometimes. Yes. But you chop all that up, put that in and let it boil away. So you've kind yeah. of got a big lump of flowers. Yeah. Chunks of it's orange. It's so easy. Like, and just and leave and it go. Just, you, you have no excuse to where you live. And I know that you probably can see elderflower out your window. And it is, we all can. Like, it's, it really is everywhere. Like, it's along, I live on the canal in Dublin. It's along the canal. It's, it's, it's honestly everywhere. So into a pot of hot water and sugar and a lemon and an orange. Now the other thing to keep it for longer is a thing called citric acid. And this is used in sour jellies or um, some lemonades and stuff to give that extra, it does give that extra kind of punchy, you know, and it kind of hurts the back of your jaw flavour, you know, like, but it also helps um preserve the cordial for like we could have a, I, I actually have some still in my press from last year and so, where would you get citric acid so you actually get it in the pharmacy yeah which is unusual but it's like this is just something I honestly have done since I'm a kid with my mum and I'm so grateful for it but it's what we do the, anyone who makes it in large batches would buy if you're making it at home and you're, you only want one you know bottle of it a small amount then um, or you want to do it every so often then keep it in your fridge and it'll be totally fine. Okay, I'm going to take on this challenge. Yay. I'm going to make a bottle of elderflower <laughs> and orange cordial. Yeah, make it with your daughter and get get little stickers and label your bottles. And if you can, if you ever, and the great one is that actually sell like a lemonade in the shop with a pop top. If you ever buy that, keep that pop top bottle and that's perfect for, do you know? Yeah. But a regular glass bottle will be fine. If you, Glass is probably best and keeping it in the fridge is is good too. If so do you have all of this up on your Instagram? I do, I-, I do. And I have the recipes for you to put up as well. And I will be doing other things with elderflower this summer, uh, such as fritters. I've started doing them last year, which is where you put them in a batter like a pancake and fry them and they're really tasty. It's delicious. Okay, so we can also just doubly check what elderflower is before you go out looking. Yes, I, I may put it, I actually I'll do a highlight because I did a lot of it last year and I'll go back and look for it, yes. So so that you know what, what you're picking, yes. And I did do that, like you said, with the wild garlic, so I'll do that again now. Yeah. Public service announcement, I think. Okay, so yeah. take on this mission with me and do let us know how you get on, alive and kicking at newstalk.com. So you're going to put up um, that recipe, you're going to put up the green goddess pasta and a couple of desserts um, and you've featured rhubarb in them. You have an almond and orange cake with rhubarb and rhubarb frangipan. Now they sound trickier than the two recipes <laughs> just given. <laughs> They're actually quite similar those two because they both use almond but almond and rhubarb go very well together as does orange as just do strawberries in season and elderflower. Actually everything that's kind of seasonal tends to go with it itself. It's the same in 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 other vegetables and stuff. Um, they are a bit trickier, but something like a frangipan is actually sounds fancier than the trickiness. So you could buy your pastry and then the filling is a mixture of soft butter, sugar and almonds. So, and I put in a little bit of a kirsch or something, you know, a little treat in there and into your blender and then pour that into your, your tart case 
and pop in pieces of rhubarb or pieces of strawberry. You don't even need to actually do anything to them. When they sit into that frangipan mixture and bake in the oven, they start to cook. They start to take on the butter, the sugar, the flavour, and then you can brush it with a bit of your rhubarb jam or drizzle a little bit of your elderflower cordial if you made it or just heat up some jam that you have at home and brush it on top. That Honestly, frangipans are way fancier looking than they are to make. They're really, really easy and delicious as well. I love how you cook with passion for the food Aww. but with blenders all around yeah. making it nice and easy. Where can people find you? <laughs> Thank you so much. There was always a blitzer it was called in our house as kids. So um, I've changed my Instagram handle recently from Drum's Kitchen to Erica Drum i.e. my surname is Drum. I'm called Drummy by my friends and Drum.ie is the website Erica Drum.ie so. Erica Drum thank you so so no much. Problem. Coming up after the break Dermot Good on navigating the high seas of health insurance. Alive and kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, if you're fortunate enough to be able to pay for health insurance, even with the best will in the world and helpful provider, it can feel like a minefield. I renewed my own back in March and felt quite bamboozled by it all. Dermot Good is founder of Total Health Cover and a wealth of information on the subject. And he joins me now. Dermot, I'm not alone, am I? Because, you know, obviously this is what you've made your business. People want to get a policy and it can feel so confusing. Yeah, they they definitely don't make it easy. I mean, I remember the days when there was like 10, 15 plans. So there was no competition, but, you know, it was very straightforward. Now we have about 330 plans. So there is huge choice for consumers, but a lot of consumers just, as you say, get totally confused and uh, they decide to do nothing, which either means they don't join a good plan or it means they keep renewing each year on a really old plan and all they're doing is literally throwing hundreds of euro away and missing out on benefits as well. So it's one of those things, if you approach it properly, um, then definitely you can get fantastic deals. But if you throw the towel in, the insurance company wins. So so I suppose the biggest losers in the market are people who auto-renew. And that's a lot of older people in particular because they're frightened of any change and and they're easily frightened, especially if they have underlying conditions or they're using their policy. But they're the people who are overpaying by, by thousands in some cases um, and they really need to shop around. So the key message is great choice for everybody. Shop around. If you do it properly, which we can talk about, you can get fantastic deals. But doing nothing, you probably will have good cover, but you literally are throwing. And it's not 50, 60 euro. Like Claire, it literally is... For a lot of people in their 50s and 60s, it's an average of 500 to 1,000 euro per adult that they're potentially throwing away. Yeah, and you really need to think about it that way. I often wonder why it gets so confusing for us. Now, as you said, there's so much choice out there, but it's also the subject matter. Sometimes you're being asked all these different scenarios of what was to happen if you had a heart issue. Do you want a semi-private room or a private room? And you, you can't even put yourself into that situation. The truth is, you don't know what you're going to want. What do you need cover for unless you have that pre-existing condition? Yeah, and, and a good starting point for anybody is what's your budget? So before you start worrying too much about exactly all, there's about 10 different criteria we'll take somebody through, but your budget is the starting point. So, you know, if, if I was paying... Like we would say to people right now, if you're paying more than 1850 or 1900 per adult, there should be a clear reason for that. Because 
there's really good plans out there right now that are around €1,500. So we would want to know, well, why are you paying that? And for a lot of people, like they're paying, like the old VHI Health Plus Extra, the old Leia Healthcare Essential Plus, the old Irish Life Level 2 Hospital Schemes. So if anybody listening recognises those names, you know, you're paying around €3,000 per adult. You are absolutely overpaying by about €1,000 each. And the good plans, but dated schemes. So, you know, a rule of thumb. So first of all, start with your budget. But one question people will often put to us is, well, how do I know if I'm overpaying? You know, how do I know? So that monetary threshold, 1850 that's a good barometer of potentially overpaying. If you're on the same plan for five years or more, like new plans come out every month. So the likelihood is you're on a dated plan. And those plans I just mentioned, they're on the market like 10, 15, 20 years so those people have been hit by every price increase during those 20 years. So, you know, they're good ways if you have everybody on your plan on the same policy. You know, if you've never done a proper review, even just to determine the suitability of your cover, then you're definitely overpaying. But once again, if if you approach it properly and the key starting point is what's my budget? So I would say to a lot of our older clients, you know, who will say I can't afford two and a half thousand. Well, well, what can you afford? And if they say, well, 2,000 euro, which is what I was maybe paying two years ago, well, then we start with that. And then we look at plans that are as close to what they currently have that are in around that budget. You know, sometimes people are shocked when we show them plans like that are 1,500 that do pretty much everything that their current plan does. And and that is that is the reality for some people. And also, when people hear me talking about switching, people get worried straight away because they think this guy's going to recommend I change from my current provider to one of the others. And they don't like the thought of doing that. Okay, They're worried about that. What they don't realise is 50% of people who change cover change to a different plan with the same insurance company. So what I would say to anybody right now who thinks, okay, I fall into one of those categories. I really need to look at doing something. You're going to get your renewal notice a month before the renewal. you know, And just decide there and then to engage with the insurance company. If you don't feel you're up to it or you're easily put off or maybe easily frightened or, or whatever... Get somebody that you trust to sit in on the call with you. Um, if you have a son or daughter who, you know, a lot of younger people are absolutely very capable of engaging with the insurance companies and they're comfortable with the jargon and they, they're mobile, they'll switch, you know, get them to do the review for you. So if you approach it properly, give yourself plenty of time. Uh, some people are just shocked um, at, the, at the extra benefits they can get often with the same insurance company. And that is like, that's not an exaggeration. What about with the cost of living crisis? I'm sure there are people who are seeing it as a luxury rather than a necessity. What would you say to them? Because I know there's a school of thought that people think, well, I'm healthy. And if something happens and there is a a big bill, you know, I'll take a loan out or I'll go that way rather than having this monthly bill that I may not need. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are in that I suppose scenario now where funds are tight and health insurance is one of those discretionary spends. You you have to have your car insurance and so on, but you don't have to have the health insurance. What I would say to anybody who's in that boat, like consider all the avenues to reducing the cost first. Okay, so the last thing you want to do is cancel because what happens, Claire, if you cancel Murphy's Law, so if I cancel my cover today and in six months' time I have a sports injury and I do my cruise heat in or something like that, And if I rejoin, I'm rejoining with an existing condition. They won't cover me for five years. And that condition, like even that surgery is going to cost between five and seven and a half thousand euro. You know, so, you know, Murphy's Law. Now, by the way, as I say this, you know, half the population have never had private health insurance and they're quite happy to rely on the public system. So there are, you know, there is a body out there of people who are quite happy to rely on the system that they pay for through their taxes. So 
what I would say, first of all, anybody who's worried about access, in other words, to get in quickly, to get whatever they need done, so they're not going to be stuck on a waiting list, and unfortunately there's three quarters of a million people on those waiting lists. Or if you're like me and you want to be able to choose which hospital, which consultants, you know, what type of accommodation, or for a lot of people it's choosing when to go in, you know, to balance work and to balance family and, and with their self-employed and so on. If that's important, you really have to have health insurance. So our advice always is look at the lower cost options first of all, but the last thing you should do is cancel. And worst case scenario, drop down to the cheapest plan, but stay in the system because the other thing that a lot of people aren't aware of, if you're over 34, so Claire, if you cancel and then you rejoin and you're over 34, now you have these age loadings that they brought in back in 2015. So now you'll be penalised for joining at an older age. Now you will get credit for previous membership, but you know, waiting periods, age loadings, we would say to anybody who maybe is struggling to meet the current cost, Look to see, can you get a more affordable option, first of all? And once again, watch your budget. What about families then? Is it essential to have children on your policy? Yeah, this question comes up all the time. Um, We would say yes, and a few reasons for that. Now, one of the reasons has been taken away. So up until now, up until April, if your child was in hospital, in a public hospital, you were going to be charged €80 per night anyway, up to €800. So that's now been removed. So I suppose the reasons for putting children on cover, number one, it's quite, let's just say, affordable, if I can say that, you know, because they can get policies for children from like 150 per child. And one of the insurance companies right now, Leia Healthcare, has an offer where you pay for the eldest child under 18 and all other children under 18, the second and subsequent child, are free. So if anybody's thinking of joining and you have a family with three, four children, now's the time to join because you'll only pay for one. Um, But bear in mind, Children go on waiting lists just like adults. So children will wait six, eight months for tonsillectomies or for orthopedic surgeries just like like adults. Um, And also, you know, if you don't insure your child until later, you know, maybe when they're 12, 13, playing maybe contact sports or something like that. But if they have any underlying condition, like that won't be covered, you know, for five years. So the insurance treats children just like adults. But also adults face the same waiting lists, the same obstacles in the public system as well. So our advice will be, if you can, please insure them. But bear in mind, you don't have to put the children on the same plan as the adults. So put the adults, adults are the higher risk. So we often when a family will come to us, the policy is the wrong way around. We will see mum and dad on a very low level of cover and the children on a very high plan. So we, we try and structure it to reflect the risk. Mum and dad are higher risk. And if they get sick, it's going to be a higher cost and then put the children on a much lower plan. Like a very young child is going to go to Temple Street, Tala, Crumlin or other public hospitals around the country. So having them on a really high level of private cover, maybe with private accommodation in a private hospital, that's over insurance. So once again, you know, you need to look at your cover just to make sure that you're not overspending. So a good advisor, and there's loads of advisors around the country who will look at this. They look to see what you have to see is they're overspending. Let's eliminate that. Then they look to see, well, hang on, does the cover you hold reflect the risk? So they'll split your cover and rebalance it. And then they look to see well, what new plans have come out. And sometimes people who are considering cancelling, um, or sometimes we can get kids added onto the policy, but because we save a fortune on mum and dad's cover, they, they have a much lower bill overall and now the family is all insured. And by the way, Claire, you've heard, heard me mention before these corporate plans. These are the best schemes. So these cover all your outpatient expenses as well. They're available like from each of the insurance companies. So for example, VHI have a really good one, Company Plan Plus Level 1.3. Leia have the Inspire scheme and Irish Life have the Health Guide 1, all costing about 1250 for an adult and about 325 for a child. 
So why would you put a child on that plan? Well, on those plans, you get 50% back on the child's outpatient costs up to a thousand euro into your hand. Consultants fees, x-rays, you know, blood tests. So if you have a child with an underlying condition who is going privately to and incurring all these expenses, that cover kicks in immediately from the day you put them on. So often you'll get back three or four times on the policy what you're actually paying in premium, you know, believe it or not. So that's why sometimes I suppose it's a long-winded way of me saying yes, if you can try and put the kids on. Yeah, and I would have had that idea that, you know, you mentioned, sure, look, if they break their leg, falling out of a tree, you know, real typical children kind of accidents, they will just go to Temple Street, so why would I? And I met a friend who had two children who suffered with mental health and needed a lot of care. And she said if she hadn't have had her health insurance, they perhaps wouldn't have their home. And I I had never really thought about it that way. And, you know, that was a a real um, double check for me. You mentioned some of the wait lists there and they still exist, particularly in the areas of, of mental health or special needs. And it's not like the health insurance is this golden ticket to get to the top of the queue. I think that causes frustration for people. It does. And look, you know, lots of times we will, there will be criticism of our health system, this two-tier system that we have. Um, and, you know, different health ministers have tried to address that. James Riley tried with universal health care and that didn't take off because of the perceived cost. So right now we're stuck with our current system and we're stuck with it for the foreseeable future. And that system is unfortunately two-tier. So it basically means we all pay for the public system through our taxes, uh, pay quite a lot, by the way, about 21, 22 billion. Unfortunately, because of the pressures on the public system, and I know a lot of people will blame COVID, but the public system was in serious trouble prior to COVID. COVID just exacerbated everything. Um, So unfortunately, we're all entitled to public hospital treatment. And and to be fair, if it's an emergency or a life-threatening problem, once you get into the public system, it works brilliantly. You mightn't get the consultant you want, you might be in a public ward, but you will get well-treated. Where the public system struggles is for elective treatments, particularly orthopaedics and routine stuff like that. So, for example, if I needed you know, a, an urgent colonoscopy for whatever reason, I might wait three to six months on the public system. I want to get that done next week. You know, I don't want to wait. And the same for urgent MRIs. And and, and that's the reality. And 750,000 people, I think roughly, and the figures are all available online, but roughly about 600,000 people are waiting for their first appointment to see a consultant. And then when you get to that stage, you know, then if you need treatment, you go on the next waiting list to go in to get your diagnostics and your treatment. Um, I don't want to wait. I don't want any of my children to wait. Whatever it might be, I want it investigated, diagnosed and treated as quickly as possible. So I will never drop my health insurance. But there are, Claire, a lot of people who don't believe in private cover and, and I can understand that. But there's also, unfortunately, a lot of people who would love to have private cover and can't afford it um, or they had to let it go. Or now, because of their age, maybe their kids have moved on and maybe they're in their 50s and they want to join, but those age loadings penalise them. You know, and I have huge sympathy for those people, but, you know, it's, it's a really difficult one because there's no real way around that. Health insurance is expensive to have good cover. And now, relative, by the way, to other countries and relative to the kind of costs you can incur, like people don't realise a day case procedure in a private hospital, like the colonoscopy or gastroscopy, that could be €1,500 to get a joint injection for maybe arthritis or some kind of muscular or musculoskeletal problem, that could also be a thousand euro. You would be shocked at how quickly you can run up massive bills. You know, even if I don't end up in hospital, but to go to different consultants and get scans, I could spend two thousand euro easily, even after a sports injury. So, you know, we're always saying, particularly to younger people, 
um, you know, for that, let's just say €1,000 that you spend, like that's one day in hospital, you know. And a lot of, for example, a lot of young people who are playing, you know, hurling and gaily football and if they get injured, they want to go to the top consultants in the Beacon and the sports clinic. They want to get in straight away and get back playing. You need private health insurance for that, unfortunately, you know. So it's, it's one of those things you hope you never have to use it but it's not getting any cheaper. All the rates are going up about 5% um, on average at the moment or whatever. So there are people who are really struggling to, I suppose, to pay their health insurance cover at the moment. Yeah, and I, I'd say golden ticket, you know, with with reservation because I think healthcare should be accessible to all and there shouldn't be the wait lists for anyone. But as as we said, with people actually forking out the money, um, you hope that they're getting the benefit from it and you've gone in some way to making it a little easier for them to make that decision. Derma Good of Total Health, thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Now, my next guest is poet GM Eleanor. Her book, Pinch Me, I'm Breathing, features the poetry about life, love and holding yourself together, which I think we can all relate to. And she joins me in studio now. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, you want to remain GM Eleanor. You like to keep a sort of anonymity. Why is that? Um, I think it was because I wanted to keep it mainly about the writing and not about me and for me to write in the way that I write, which is very vulnerable and very raw and to keep it as kind of authentic as possible, um, I felt that I needed to do that. And it, I think as time has gone on, it's become less important, um, but it's still something that uh, I would like to keep up for as long as I can. Yeah, and I think that's really commendable, especially in the age of Instagram now, where it is always about the the person. Yeah. Um, and I know Instagram is sort of huge for your work. We'll get into that in a moment. But how did it all start? Um, It started with, so I've always been a writer, I suppose. Like I have a journal, I have a poem that my auntie actually sent me. I wrote when I was like nine and it's a it's a love poem basically that I wrote when I was nine to some boy that I was in, that I fancied. But uh, yeah, I always had words as like an outlet for me because they, they always came to me easy. I think the way, you know, musicians would have music or artists would have art and I can't sing or draw so I had to have something. Um, and with the stickers, it was around a time where it was a really kind of transitionary period in my life. So I had, I think, gone through a lot of stuff and I was coming out of it and I was looking for a way to connect with other people who I felt were in the same place I was in. And, well, actually a friend of mine was doing street art and he was doing sticking loads of stickers up around Dublin. And I thought, well, would that be a way for me to get mine out there? And that's how I started doing those. As well, there's a thing about Dublin, like, I don't know if anybody else does this, but... I'm not big into, not that I, I think mindfulness and meditation is great, but it never really worked for me. And my way of mindfulness and grounding myself is to like go for a walk around Dublin and just listen, like no music, no AirPods, just walk around, listen to everything, listen to tax drivers yelling at each other, walk down the canal, listen to the water and the freaking swans swishing about and just random things, you know, that just kind of ground me. And in street art, like, you know, things like Mazer and, you know, that you are alive thing he had. And like, that's what kind of inspired me as well. And I just thought I could be a part of this. You know, I already felt like a part of it, but to kind of leave my little mark on it. 
and that's how I started doing the stickers. And the stickers, at the start, there was just a little hashtag. I thought, well, maybe someone will take a photo. You know, I'll just put a wee hashtag on them. Didn't have a name. Didn't have an Instagram account. And then one day I said, oh, look it up. And there was like this hashtags and people like taking photos and share little bits about their life. You know, someone take a photo and say, I was having a bad day. This happened. Like it was like it was giving them a medium or like a way, an opening to share what had happened with them that day or to share their feelings or, you know, it was like, uh, I don't know what the word would be, but, you know, they could use that to post and then share why it resonated with them. Yeah, because it's a power of shared experience. So the stickers yeah. have some of your poetry or, you know, so a, 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 a little excerpt, a stanza or whatever yeah. from it. Yeah. Um, and you've had some incredible feedback from people. It's been so that's been the main thing. And I think that's why as well with the anonymity was very important, especially at the start, because because I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about connecting with people and then also connecting people with each other because that was another thing about me and my wee walks around the city and stuff when I started sticking up the stickers I used to think like someone could have read one of those and been having the same feelings that I was having and walk right past me and I don't know that person and they could be thinking they're completely alone and that no one understands and that's such a common feeling that isolation of no one gets and I'm feeling no one no one understands and for for me that was my way of saying well look I'm here and I see you and I get it and I know that I'm a stranger but you're not on your own and that was why that started. And your book Pinch Me I'm Breathing you put a collection of them together and you do have some of those comments written in there and I was just really struck how people almost took it as as a sign it, it was I, and I, I don't want to over exaggerate it and say like it was yeah. a turning point and everything yeah. was okay because that's yeah. not what it's about but they took it as a, as a as a message as a powerful message that they're feeling a certain way they stopped at a pedestrian crossing they looked to the left and something really spoke to them and it is yeah. really powerful and I think like it opens it helps people to open a conversation because sometimes you just need someone else to say okay, I get this too. And that gives someone the confidence to talk about their experience. And people would message me, you know, I I get so many messages and people tell me these things about their lives. And like, that's a privilege for someone to share that with you. And with the anonymity thing as well, I think it makes people feel a lot safer in doing that, you know. And there was, there was a lot of, they're not small things, a lot of things over the years that really struck with me. Like um, there was a guy and I, I know him now, like I would talk to him now and then now still. But a few years ago, he saw one of my stickers and it, it was after his mum got very sick. The day his mum got very sick and she had to go into hospital and she had, she died a while later. And his friend messaged me and she said, would you type something? Because I, I do typewriter poetry as well. You know, I type poems and I sell them. She said, would you type some for his mum? And it wasn't something I normally did. Like I, sometimes I find it hard to create stuff on demand you know I don't know why I just find it hard if someone says will you write about this I find that a little bit difficult but this wasn't difficult at all because I could really relate and he had been following me for a while and I really kind of understood it and that made me feel like okay I'm doing something good this it gives you a sense of purpose I think for me as well because I had come through a kind of dark place myself and for me to turn that into something that was helping other people you know that it gives me the good feels like people think it's uh, you know it's great oh, I'm putting this out and it's helping people and obviously it's not changing their worlds I'm not a therapist but 
I get that back 10 times over. If someone takes a photo of a sticker and writes something about like, this made my this made my day so much better. This, you know, lifted my mood, this whatever. Like that makes me feel good. That gives me all the feels. Yeah. And you never know where the stickers are going to turn up. Like when I started selling them, Someone put one up in San Francisco. I've never been in San Francisco. My sticker is there. And like someone put one up in a in a forest in West Virginia. And I actually don't know who bought that. I don't know how it got there because I never sent one there. So I just saw my sticker tagged on this tree in this forest. I'm like, okay. That's a bit of magic, um, isn't it? Is yeah. it? And as you say, it's reciprocal. And I think yeah. poetry for many people becomes something that we just study at, at school. Um yeah. But there is such power in it. Why do you think that was the medium you chose as opposed to just writing? Um, I think a lot of it is just right. I think poetry is a very wide ranging uh, word. So, you know, you'll have poets who are very strict on rules and the way that you should write in stanzas. Mine is very free verse and it's prose. And it just happened to be the way that I write I'm I mean people ask me they want to get into writing poetry and they ask me how do you do it and all I ever really say is just write down what you feel and find a way to put it together that makes sense to you and I can't explain it any better than that because I never really learned it it I just started doing it I guess that's why I started I started doing it and there is so much science behind the power of taking something from your head and, and putting it on paper and you've really taken it to the next level. Will we let the poetry do the talking? You're going to read one for us. It's the one I loved the most that really I I thought was really beautiful. Um, You don't name them. So that was the thing when I was writing the book. I thought, God, what what am I going to call it? I had to kind of come up with names. But uh, yeah, it's called You Are Not Broken. You are not broken. You are not damaged beyond repair. Maybe you're missing so many pieces that you're not sure how you'll ever feel complete again. And maybe it feels as though this world has given up on you because you just can't seem to find your place. But listen when I say that this world needs you around to make it whole and everything is out there waiting for you to find your way home. Beautiful. That's, yeah. So that's, that's kind of um, a lot of why I do. And with the book, um, and you were saying about the anonymity thing, it, you know, I had to tell my friends and family when I was doing the book, there's no way out of that. So I realised it's going to come out of it. And there's a thing in here for my auntie. There's a little dedication. I don't know if you saw at the front for, for my Nell. That's my auntie. And she um, basically raised me. She's amazing. And she is, Nell is short for Eleanor. So I used her for part of my little pseudonym for the book as well, for my name. Okay. So there's a lot of love threaded yeah. through it all. <laughs> there's a lot. Well, the book is called Pinch Me, I'm Breathing by G.M. Eleanor. And keep an eye out for the stickers because You Are Broken is the sticker you sent me. And you'll find her on at g.m.eleanor on Instagram. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay, great. Delighted just to be able to share it and get as many people to check it out. And I don't know, see if they can connect with it as well. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Eva Breen, to Simon Keane, to Maurice O'Sullivan and Hugo De Silva-Scott who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.